Hi and welcome to this latest podcast from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode we will continue our reading of Bruce Byrne's father's Bullets and Billets. We're up to chapter 13. As always, if you're enjoying this reading or uh, the other podcast episodes that we're putting out, uh, please make sure you like and share uh, the podcast on the various platforms you use uh, just to get the word out and around. Thanks a lot. Right, without further ado, chapter 13. Everything you hold worth while is at stake. Chapter 13 Robinson Crusoe That Turbulent Table By this time we had really got our little house quite snug a hole in the floor, a three legged chair, and brown paper pushed into the largest holes in the wall. What more could a man want? However, we did want something more, and that was a table. One gets tired of balancing tins of per nearly said it again, marmalade on one's knee, and holding an enamel cup in one hand and a pocket knife in the other. So we all said how nice a table would be. I determined to say no more, but to show by deeds, not by words, that I would find a table and have one there by the next day, like a fairy in a pantomime. I started off on my search one night, Take it from me, a fairy's a poor job out there, and when you've read the next bit, you'll agree. Behind our position stood the old ruined chateau, and beyond it one or two scattered cottages. I had never really had a good look at all at that part, and as I knew some of our reserve trenches ran around there, and that it would be a good thing to know all about them, I decided to ask the colonel for permission to creep off one afternoon and explore the whole thing. Incidentally, I might, by good luck, find a table. It was possible by wriggling up a mud valley and crawling over a few scattered remnants of houses and bygone trenches to reach the colonel's headquarter dugout in daytime. So I did it, and asked leave to go back and have a look at the chateau and the land about it. He gave me permission, so armed with my long walking stick, a billiard cue with the thin part cut off, which I found on passing another chateau one night, I started off to explore. I reached the chateau. An interesting sight it was. How many shells had hit it one couldn't even guess, but the results indicated a good few. What had once been well-kept lawns were now covered with articles that would have been much better left in their proper places. One suddenly came across half a statue of Minerva or Venus wrapped in three-quarters of a stair carpet in the middle of one of the greenhouses. Passing on, one would find the lightning conductor projecting out through the tapestried seat of a Louis Quinze chair. I never saw such a mess. Inside, the upstairs rooms were competing with the ground floor ones, as to which could get into the cellars first. It was really too terrible to contemplate the fearful destruction. I found it impossible to examine much of the interior of the chateau, as blocks of masonry and twisted iron girders closed up most of the doors and passages, I left this melancholy ruin full of thought and proceeded across the shell-pitted gardens towards the few little cottages beyond. These were in a better state of preservation and were well worth a visit. In the first one I entered, I found a table, the very thing I wanted. It was stuck away in a small lean-to at the back, a nice little green one, just the size to suit us. 
I determined to get it back to our shack somehow, but before doing so, went on rummaging about these cottages. In the second cottage, I made an enormously lucky find for us. Under a heap of wood in an outhouse, I found a large pile of coal. This was splendid, and would be invaluable to us and our fire bucket. Nothing pleased me more than this, as the cold was very severe and a fire meant so much to us. When I'd completed my investigations and turned over all the oddments lying about to see if there was anything else of use to us, I started on the return journey. It was now dark, and I was able to walk along without fear of being seen. Of course, I was taking the table with me. I decided to come back later for the coal, with a few sandbags for filling, so I covered it over and hid it as much as possible. Sensation! Ali Baba returns from the forest. I started off with the table. I had about three quarters of a mile to go. Every hundred yards I had to sit down and rest. A table is a horrible thing to accompany one on a mile walk. I reached the chateau again, and out into the fields beyond, resting with my burden about three times before I got to the road which led straight to our trenches. My task was a bit harder now, as I was in full view of the German trenches. Had it been daylight, they could have seen me quite easily. Fortunately, it was dark, but of course star shells would show one up quite distinctly. I staggered on down the road, with the green table on my back, pausing as little as possible, but a rest had to be taken, and this at a very exposed part of the road. I put the table down and sat panting on the top. A white streak shot into the air, a star shell. Curse! I sprang off the green top and waltzed with my four-legged wooden octopus into the ditch at the side, where I lay still, waiting for the light to die out. Suspense over, I went on again. At last I got back with that table and pushed it into our hovel under the sack doorway. Immense success! Just the thing we wanted! We all sat down to dinner that night in the approved fashion, whilst I, with the air of a conspirator, narrated the incredible story of the vast El Dorado of coal I had discovered. And over our shrimp paste and biscuits, we discussed plans for its removal. And at the end of that short chapter, we leave Bruce Benn's father. Hope you've enjoyed that short reading from 1914 to 1918war.com. Please make sure that you share, like, etc, etc. You know the drill. Thanks a lot. See you next episode. Bye.